You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss research methods for studying the motivations of outdoor recreation participants, as well as ways to leverage that information into greater participation in sales. How can segmentation studies be crafted to gather this information? What level of detail about an individual's motivations would be actionable? And what lessons can be learned from other industries? Let's get into it. I was talking to somebody this morning who has started several businesses. I will notice something that's missing in the market based on consumer demand. Start a business. Okay. And he's done this like three times too. And it starts cool. a small business and then gets swallowed by a larger business in that category. That's like, hey, that's really cool. We want that. Zook. And then he, he takes his money, moves on, does something else. Again. Great. It's happening. And we were talking about experiences. We were talking about thinking about thinking about consumers in a much more realistic way. Um, in the sense that, you know, what what exactly is it that they want? What is it that they're after? You know, what is it that they're after every day in their in their outdoor experience? And what is it when they're doing something special, like when they're looking for an adventure? And what kind of people are seeking that adventure? And what do they need? And where are they going? And how can we provide that to them? And you know, it's something that we look at things like okay, there there are things like you would find a super wealthy person doing in terms of experiences, like. They might hire somebody to take them on an adventure, like somebody like a Conrad Anchor, which would be kind of, I would, I would watch that show, <laughs> Conrad Anchor and a Billionaire. But you, you get it in the end, you know, they have this, it, this experience and that, you know, yeah. it's, it's really super special. And we were talking about whether or not that could trickle down and what that might look like. And we were thinking about it like sort of a, you know, accessibility of adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, does everybody have the gear for it? For So, for instance, you know, where do you set up something like that where people could experience for the first time, like riding a real mountain bike? Because mountain bikes cost a lot of money. Maybe oh, yeah. And, it, and it's not that they can't afford it. It's just, you know, there are a lot of choices out there. So, yes. yeah. like, you know, we were talking about hubs, experience hubs, like where people go and they have these experiences. And it was a fascinating conversation. But it, it, what, it what it told me about my thinking is that you know, I have data that that give hints about motivation, that give us little mm-hmm. hints here and there. And, you know, it's worth paying attention to and and thinking about it in terms of a larger vision of who consumers are and, and what the trends are and what they're trying to consume and where those trends come from and where they're headed. Yeah, I, I love the way you said what they're trying to consume. That's, I think, something that's missing from um, a lot of like meeting rooms and in, um, you know, different organizations is is missing the fact that when someone's riding a bike or when they're hiking or when they're camping, they are just doing it to do it. And they're not doing it because it offers an opportunity to socialize because it offers a sense of adventure or like this, this challenge, the thrill of of some challenge. Like I am going to hike this peak and I'm going to feel so accomplished when I've done it. And that's what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not hiking. I'm challenging myself, right? And appealing to that is how you get someone to really engage with your brand. Appealing to the fact that I'll, I'll, you know, just cycling during the pandemic was really getting a lot of folks into it who were into it for for the social aspect. Because you could ride your bike 
six feet or more from someone. You could still socialize. You could be outdoors with them. And you could like see your friends. There weren't a lot of other opportunities to see friends unless you met in a, you know, some large space where you could all be distant and everything. And, um, and then you're, you're doing nothing or however you phrased it in your initial review of or your initial questionnaire of like what, what folks are doing, using technology, sitting down, doing nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Understanding how it plays into that motivation is so key. And that's, that's something I think that's missing a lot. Yeah. It's, and that's why I love doing this work. Right. Me too. It's, this is where it gets complex for us this is where, you know, this is almost like beyond conjoint. So, you know, it's, mm, it's, if yeah. we get, if we could isolate the variables of motivation, which we probably could, I'm not sure it would be as interesting as doing some qualitative work to really dissect. I want to deconstruct motivation and some yeah. of it's going mean, to be a little bit disturbing, honestly. I think, you know, when we really, when we really uncover the roots of motivation for, for some people, um, like think about the root of motivation for people in, in an activity like competitive triathlon, for, for example. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I mean, to, to really appeal to them, I mean, that's where you, you know, you don't really want to appeal to the reason why they're doing what they're doing. Maybe, maybe you just want to appeal to their sense of, of gram shaving. <laughs> yeah. But, but I get what you're saying. Like if, if it's an unhealthy, if it's like an obsession with, with, um, an activity because of, of some intended result, like maybe not that, but, but definitely like I, I've done a lot of studies where we'll reach out to folks and we do organic like write-in responses what what is what are your motivations and it'll be like a thousand and then you like comb it down into something um maybe not a thousand we'll say 300 maybe i think my, the last one i did was 300 and then you pare it down into like okay well it, it seems like this is a category here this is like being outside this is uh social this is right. challenge this is whatever and then there's always a couple stragglers that are like I, I can't make this an answer option but this is really interesting this yeah the sense of you know it, well, I, it, I want to learn more about those people. I do because insecurity drives sales. I mean, as the beauty industry. <laughs> I mean, it just that's what Margaret Reeser did. So some of it's a little bit, some of it can get a little bit on the dark side. Yeah. But if yeah. a lot of people are are using that as a motivation, um, and various other trauma that that they're they've experienced and are either trying to heal or trying to avoid um, mm. through activity. I listen. Yeah. I used to run, basically, for my mental health. Yeah, yeah. I don't run anymore. That tells you why. <laughs> I rarely run. Yeah, I. Hmm. But I mean, this this is where it gets super interesting. And this is yes. I, we don't look. I don't. I don't think we're gonna like wave a magic wand and do an, an analysis and find exactly what the right grouping is. I think a lot of the value in this, we could, we should. Uh, we I get think we really should. close. We should. But what's really valuable here is, you know, a team sitting down and thinking through this, like really dissecting what motivates people to do the thing that my product will allow them to do or will help mm -hmm. them to do or will enhance what they do or make them look good doing it. What is it? I mean, really think through the, the, that character and that will help you design better products, surgically yeah. market and save money. And and engage your consumer. God, Did you say surgically market? Yes, I said surgically. I love market. that. I haven't heard that. Really? No. Uh, sound Gen X. I grew up that game operation. You know where if you miss. Oh yeah, I know it. But yeah, that level of precision. You're exactly right. That's what we should be shooting for. I once I once presented a segmentation study to a state fish and wildlife agency and described 
segmentation studying in terms of waterfowl hunting because because they're all hunters, right? And and the analogy here is that if you're to shoot randomly into a group of birds, you will not hit anything. But if you take a group of birds and you say, this is going to be my target, you are so much more likely to successfully harvest that animal. Right. And and the same could be said for segmentation. And and like you said, for surgical precision in our in our marketing and communication strategies, let's not be random in this. Let's understand how our outdoor rec participants are indoors right now doing something else. It's tied together through the same um motivation in a lot of ways. Like I, I want to be active for for some folks. Like, yeah, I was a minority of, of uh folks in your sample, but they want to be active or they they want to um just get out of the house, whatever it may be, figure out what that common thread is and appeal to that and you'll be much more successful. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm thinking, now I'm way down the rabbit hole because I'm thinking we should hire a psychologist. That's what we really need is to hire a psychologist to help us figure this out and market to that group that's that's working on on coping with the outdoors. Mm, yeah. Using the outdoors to cope with. And, you know, I've asked that question too. But yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right, Patrick. I Work in this in this area um, has good ROI. Some of the best ROI research. So yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, and really getting to know that. And you and I, I want to go off on a on a tangent conversation about Dan Connors, <laughs> but noise right now because what oh, you're yeah. yeah. Have you read it? Have you read Noise? No, but I've I, it's been recommended to me. You are gonna love it. So you know, it's about the it's about. You know, measuring measuring uh, behavior in groups or looking at group behavior, looking at individual behavior and decision making yeah. and risk assessment, as Dan Common does. But it was, I mean, what he had to say about group behavior that applies to the outdoors was that you know, if, if, if people are estimating things all the time, and I see this, I see some marketing, especially marketing people, do segment what they call segmentation, and they're not using data; they're just kind of oh yeah. Kind of building, I got what looks like a least squares analysis, right? And just and applying yeah. their own bias qualitative data to 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 determine where somebody should sit, you know, in in the least squares section. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, well, we're looking for people who are um, they're active and they're also um, walking, and then they um, we're going to market to people who are also um, working and have an income above. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's, but they're not collecting the data to do it. And they're not, they're making it, they're not actually doing an analysis. They're making assumptions. Somebody asked me, somebody asked me a professional question this week um, about segmentation. And they said, well, wouldn't you just put them in the, in the bucket and then analyze the data? And I almost lost my, Uh I almost lost my, you know what? Uh Yeah. And they didn't understand why I was, why I had a reaction to that. Do you, yeah, know I mean, a, you know why I had a reaction to that? Yeah, yeah, because because you want to approach it from the most unbiased way possible, right? Like I, I assume that I know nothing about this group. I want them to tell me everything I need to know, and then I'm going to approach it with curiosity and humility, and and I'm going to let the data speak for itself or um, speak for themselves, and then I'm going to like follow these threads as as an observer, but not as like a guide or or um, some architect. Yeah, I just give you a hug and like just. <laughs> oh my God, yes, and and so yeah, the no, reason I brought up the reason I brought up noise is because yeah. as you Dan Kahneman is he's a behavioral economist was the first Nobel Prize winning um, behavioral economist, and uh, and so you know he spends a lot of time talking about the fallibility of human judgment. Um, talks about it a lot, in fact, to the point where I'm convinced that we're also fallible that. 
you know, I, I don't believe anybody's estimates of anything anymore. But he talks about <laughs> he talked about what would happen if you had, you know, 10 people and, and then did 10 people you, that, who didn't know each other and then 10 people who didn't know each other, you know, try and come up with these segments or cry, try and come up with, OK, we think people fit in. Do you, you know how much variance there would be? How much noise would be in the in the final result? Result is something like eighty percent noise. Yeah, there's, there's no so <laughs> so using your own assumptions to to build your segmentation is dangerous because yeah. what you end up with is just basically you know something that looks like a structured picture of what you already thought. Yeah, it's 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 typically just something that confirms whatever business as usual we have going on. Like like I, I've seen a lot of segmentation analyses that are like, here's the avid. Here's the um, casual and here's the women segments. It's these three segments. You're like, what in the world? This is not this. This is not what success looks like. This is not what um, we should be striving for, right? Like it. It we cannot group women all together. And go, yep. We, I understand. If we just make it pink, they're gonna love it. And and we've like we've effectively marketed to women. Well, you've learned more yeah. about the you've learned more about the researchers' worldview than you have about the worldview. And I oh, yeah, that's honestly, a- I see that a lot. Um, and I yeah. and I remind myself every day, man, this is like my some people wake up and go, I'm I'm important. People love me. I wake <laughs> up and go, I'm not important at all. <laughs> my yeah. you know, this remove this from yeah. you know, what I I can care about stuff, you know, at six o'clock at night. But mm-hmm. but I need to approach everything with with as as open and and unbiased as I possibly can get, which re- which means reminding myself of how little importance as a as an analyst I actually have. I know my my job yeah. is sacred, and it involves looking at data and analyzing data objectively, um, as objectively as possible. I get feelings about unless the analysis is over. That's that's the allowance I give myself. <laughs> that's it, yeah, that's great. You and I had that. Whole, we, I think we did a whole episode on removing bias or mitigating bias, maybe. It's yeah. one of my favorite topics, but it, you know, we start talking about things like thinking about, you know, segmenting your customers' motivations or really thinking through that. We are talking to a lot of, a lot of folks out there that don't do math. So, I mean, I would tell them that if you're, if you're embarking upon that and you actually want to see how it's done, you should call mm-hmm. Patrick and I or call Patrick, call me. And yeah. you know, I, I would rather do it. I'd rather spend extra time helping you do it. Than watching you do it the wrong way. Oh yeah, and yeah. Well, you know, here's here's the frustration for me as a researcher is that you know there there are times when an opportunity like this presents itself and someone goes, well, I want to do segmentation analysis. I, I guess this is probably going to be the thing that's going to help. They kind of like begrudgingly spend money on research. They do bad segmentation analysis. It doesn't work. The ROI is trash, and they go, see, we shouldn't have done it. We should have bought, um, you know, uh, machinery or some other like big capital investment instead of investing in research and you're like banging your head against the wall going like, no, I, you, I don't think you did it right. Yeah. I, I think you just wasted. Let's if we did it right, this would be helpful. If done poorly, it can be a huge hindrance. And, and then it's, it's justified to not spend money on research anymore. Cause like, well, remember when we did that study and it didn't do anything great. Like, well, you didn't give it a chance. You didn't really invest in research the way that it should have been invested in, in terms of, care and thought and openness and humility you just um yeah preconceived notions and um and and confirmation biases have have ruined the opportunity to really hear from consumers yeah sometimes i you know i'm i'm cynical so i think it's intentional incompetence 
<laughs> it's like when I'm bad at something, so I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Like <laughs> I try not to think about that. Um, that's funny, though. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some of that, too. But um, well, honestly, I think a lot of it's Dunning-Krieger. I think a lot of it's I took mm-hmm. a I took a course on on um, on, you know, cross tabbing. And yeah. and now I understand p-value a little bit, and so now I can do an entire segmentation study. No, nope. yeah, well, no. it happens. No, it I know, I know, and 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 what you're describing is it. Like I, I think a lot of folks think segmentation. They go, okay, cool, yeah. Here we have uh, wealthy over sixty-five in suburban. That's yeah. a seg, and 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 that you know that can be helpful sometimes. I'm sure. I don't think it's anything I've really found to be helpful in my position. Um, but that's, I'm not trying to totally discredit that as something that's useless. But what I am saying is that I don't think that all wealthy seniors living in suburban areas think and feel and act the same and are motivated to do activities for the same reasons. Yeah. And so I, yeah, it, it requires greater thought and care. It definitely does. And I mean, then part of the, part of the analysis, part of the analysis is math, frankly. And part of the analysis is, is cognition. Part of the analysis is is really thinking through this, as we were talking about before, and and being open to understanding motivations that you're not familiar with, right? Yeah. So if, an example of that would be, um, I like to hike because I like the way the um, the pines smell in the summertime, and that's my major motivation. I freaking love that. That's nobody else's made. That's very few people would ever say anything like, but you've got to be open to that. Oh, one. <laughs> I, we had a whole conversation at the PFB office the other day about Ponderosa pine scent and hugging, it. hugging trees. And um, yeah, so, <laughs> so maybe, maybe the end of one year is skewed pretty, pretty heavily towards that. Like uh, I could see that segment existing, but, but, but yeah, you know, being open. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Wait, so. And then you dig past that and you're like, well, that's really interesting. What, how does that smell make you feel? And I said, well, mm. I'm pretty p- peaceful. You know, I feel calm and peaceful. And like, you know, here I am and, and you know, my, my environment is, I'm paying attention to the now and I'm in the forest and I, and I feel a lot peaceful. That's what I'm after. I mean, yeah. The yeah. smell of pines gets me there and the smell, and I, and, and they're like, well, why, why are you riding a bike? I'm like, because I can get more of it into my nose. <laughs> and also oh, i like I, you know while i'm feeling peaceful and connected to nature i like to shred i love it i love it so you yeah get, so the and without being glib i mean the mm-hmm. the real key is to dig and dig and dig and dig down um until until you're you're kind of at the at the root of what motivates the people that you're trying to sell to because once yeah. you get to that root and and I'll tell you what what that looks like when you've really got it right. And it's a dark example, so forgive me. But the best examples you can find of that are in supplements. I mean, look, oh, at, the, sure. look at how supplements are advertised. Supplements to men, you know, stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Look at if my God, look at and just about any they use professional, you know, for professional athletes to hawk it. Yeah. Talk about you know the energy and you know. She'll love it too. So virility. And I mean, those concepts <laughs> are how they're selling their, yeah. their supplements. And their supplements are basically just sugar and fibrous. Don't say that. I'm depending on this to make my hair grow back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you're exactly right. I, but yeah. I mean, you can honestly sell sugar pills with that language. 
<laughs> that's what I'm saying. And I mean, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, better you, the better you understand the, the 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 underlying reason, the underlying motivation, as dark as it might be, for for somebody to be consuming your product, you are going to sell a lot more of that product. Yeah, I mean, seriously, look at look at the supplement market. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, that, that's a great example. And, and I think it's something that everyone can easily visualize the aisle at the grocery store or the, um, oh, what was it back in the day? There was like pre-workout that kids were taking in college. It was not hydroxy cut or whatever, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, all that junk. Listen, we should talk about Ozempic and Roe. We should talk about weight loss drugs because they're going to have an impact on our market. You should watch. Yeah. Uh, talk about health and fitness. So it's the shortcut. So I could take hmm. these drugs and maybe, you know, I'm not here to say that you know, you've made bad decisions and that's how you, that's bullshit. But these drugs, yeah, yeah. these drugs, these drugs work. They do work. <laughs> and, yeah. oh, and, and when they work, a lot of people are going to be taking them a lot. And so what does it, what does that mean? Are, once, once they, you know, are they looking for an, uh, a place where people that who are, you know, in shape and look great. What what do those kinds of people do? And now I'm feeling better. I mean, holy shit! Imagine not 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 you drop eighty pounds. Imagine what that feels like. You're light as a feather, man. What do I want to do now? That group is an entire new audience for us, and I think we should be all over it. Interesting. Yeah, I'm talking about outdoor in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, I, I'm interested to learn more about it. That's that's something that. um I might let you take the lead on. But I'm, <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> well, look, it, yeah. it, it's millions and millions of people are trying to get, they're trying, and you know what? These prescriptions cost like $1,000 a month or more. It is insane, the amount of, so these people are investing very, very heavily here yeah. in their health. And we have an opportunity, and we're talking about millions of people. We have an opportunity to say, hey, this is awesome. And now, and now, you can do all mm-hmm. these things. And yeah, and, and yeah, um, somebody's leaving some dollars on the table there. Well, let's maybe that's our cliffhanger for next time. Okay, until then, until, until then. then. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time. <laughs>